I kept meaning to bring this up because I like to talk about the making of television as I do these. And I just kind of kept spacing. See, they had been pulling budget out of a lot of the episodes in Season 5, specifically to save up for this episode because... Well, because this was an expensive episode to make. In fact, an extremely expensive episode to make. Probably one of the most expensive episodes to date in Star Trek. They had to design, build, brand new sets based on the old style. A brand new model based on the old model. They had to build brand new props based on the old props. Uh, new uniforms, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. They had to pretty much make their own enterprise and then also do the digital post-production side of things with regards to the editing. Good, Thankfully enough, Zemeckis was being Zemeckis and pushed forth a movie out relatively, well, relatively, sometime before this, which involved some brand new technology which enabled them to actually work on this. So they were actually capable of doing this kind of stuff, and it worked out quite well. Even now on the DVD, it, it's, you can tell, but not really, and not in a distracting way. I also have to point out the <laughs> the interesting total coincidence. For those of you not aware, this was for the 30th anniversary. They also did a flashback over on Voyager for the 30th anniversary, which was actually an episode I rather enjoyed, despite the ludicrousness of the, the memory jumping plot, but you know, whatever. Um, but the, the really interesting thing is they all were thinking they wanted to do something special. They wanted to go back. They wanted to do something for TOS, and most of the people working in Deep Space Nine, including at least several of the actors, were really into TOS, to Star Trek in general, for that matter. And so, well, what I'm trying to say is there was a lot of enthusiasm, and it shows. It really does show how much everyone cared and tried to put out this work. This is actually, in my opinion, one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine. Oh, it's not as deep or personal as, you know, uh, nor the battle to the strong. It's not as impacting or, or significant for the large scale as uh, in the pale moonlight. It's, it doesn't have the, the same emotional gut punch and, and stark reality of duet. But this is an extremely well executed and presented episode, which was basically just made for the fans. And in this case, the fans included the people making it. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Passion projects, enthusiasm, I always love it. So, um, they, recre yeah, they recreate all this. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, i got to mention one other thing. Now, there's been a couple of slightly varying accounts of this, but by all accounts, uh, they were out discussing this and, and debating what to do with this, and by what has to be total coincidence, they stumbled into Charlie Brill. He's the man who played Arne, a.k.a. Waddle, A.K.A. the you know the the agent back in uh, the Trouble of Tribbles, and the fact that they just saw him just like, oh my God, that's that's, kid, uh, hey hey, <laughs> you know, like just and again some accounts vary on the specifics and particulars, but by all accounts he was he was like yeah no I I I'm down, <laughs> we'll we'll let our agents talk to each other, but I'm down, let's do it. And that just kind of seals it right there. That's just awesome that that lined up that way. Uh, so the episode itself, um, they have this brief bit. You know, Waddle is continuing to have his own shtick of, oh, I hate Klingons. I like to think that he actually has kind of convinced himself he hates Klingons over the last however many years it's been. <laughs> and we know Klingons live long lives, so it's not actually that surprising that he's still around, consequently. The earthy... P 
peaty aroma. I would have really loved it if the lilac comment came forward in a future episode, but uh, we'll get to that. Now, I do have a question for you guys. Honest question. How many of you, when you first saw this episode, were immediately like, I know that guy, when, when he came on, for, when Charlie Brill came on camera as, you know, Waddle? And it's like, he looks really familiar. Now, I did. I didn't catch it. I didn't figure out who he was, but I was like, he looks really familiar. I know that face because I have a good I have a good face mind for faces. <laughs> and so, of course, the episode wasn't being shy about its premise, so we find out very fairly shortly who he is. And there's what I find funny is the premise is stupid. Like I think we can all just accept that. The amount of things that had to happen to get to the actual plot is kind of ridiculous. Some random not quite Klingon, surgically altered ex-Klingon intelligence operative, happened to be on Cardassian when it was a thing, find, when they find the time orb, which happened to be the time orb, and he figures out how to use it, and he manages to overpower his crew, and he manages to get it to work, to go to a specific point in time, and on top of all of that, of course, he manages to move it through space in addition to time, somehow. 200 light years, that's not a small jump. <laughs> all of this just kind of, huh? And then, uh, sure. You know what? Sure. I'm willing to go with it. Really, I am, because this is a fun episode. I've commented before that Star Trek usually fails at comedy, and uh, to be honest, I, I understand that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry, I'm stuttering because I just got a message that totally derailed my chain of thought there. I stand by that statement because usually when Star Trek tries humor, it tends to come across as grating. Now, that's, humor by its very nature is the kind of thing that's just not going to appeal to everyone, period. Even if you tell a legitimately good, funny, or interesting joke, not everyone's going to like it because not everyone's style of humor is the same, right? It's the innate danger of humor. But... <clears throat> That being stated, in my opinion, there's usually two circumstances in which Star Trek gets away with humor. One is when it's not trying to tell jokes, but instead tries to have a light tone. It tends to work better on that. And the other is when it just kind of stumbles into it by sheer happenstance. This episode is one of those, although it also has a light comedic tone. Ultimately, and it shouldn't if you think about it, I mean, stranded in time is usually a serious plot, and we have to avoid messing with the timeline is usually a serious plot. But the whole thing is presented as just kind of a... But of course, there's kind of something unique about this, too, because one of the funnier episodes of the original TOS is Trials of Tribbles, right? I mean, <laughs> this is the same episode. So they just kind of jumped on the back of that and said, let's just keep going with it. I think that enthusiasm is also another reason for that infectious nature of it. But let's talk about the episode proper. So, they see the old constitution, of course they recognize it. There's this little bit where they talk about how there's flaws in the sensors which allow them to decloak and beam and recloak. Now, this has nothing to do with the episode proper. But one of the interesting things is that in several works of fiction uh, related to Star Trek that are not the show, so nothing canon... There's been several times where the Enterprise has interacted with time travelers, and Spock has basically been smart enough to be like, okay, and that's pretty much the end of it. I've always liked that, because in my mind, Spock is one of the few people that I would automatically trust with the truth in a time travel situation, because he would get it. 
he would understand just like that, without me having to explain anything, what is required of him and what he has to do to make it happen. And so I've always sort of liked the idea that Spock, in his own right, basically picked up on what was going on and was just like, okay. And, and that was it. Kept monitoring it and moved along. Pure headcanon. Pure headcanon. So, oh, geez, what do I comment on next? Like, I actually don't have that many notes because most of the episode is just, it's just fun. The, the suiting up scene, right? I actually admit I've never been a big fan of the TOS uniforms. TNG uniforms, DS9 uniforms, they're okay. I have to admit, the movie-era stuff, that's my bag. You know, the, the style that they started with Rathacon, I love those uniforms. I'd actually want one someday, but... Well, to be completely honest with you, I want to lose some weight before I actually spring for that. And be a little more financially secure, but I digress. The point being that... <laughs> let's not get too personal. I, I, I totally get it. If someone came up to me and said, Lore, we want you to suit up in an old TOS uniform for an episode of Discovery. i got to be honest, I'd say yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you? See, the thing about nostalgia is that nostalgia is, in my opinion, not a bad thing, even though a lot of people use nostalgia as an insult or a derogatory or as a way to disparage something. The harsh truth, in my opinion, is that nostalgia is a nice additive. In other words, if you look at something and say, this is the greatest thing ever, and you're only saying it because of nostalgia, well, that's bad. But if you're looking at something and saying, well, I enjoy that, and part of that enjoyment comes from nostalgia, then that's fine. It's just something that's adding to your enjoyment of the work. And let's be honest, there are certain things we enjoy that aren't actually that good because of nostalgia. I can admit that, right? I'm sure you guys can too. But this is not one of those cases, because... As I've said before, about half of TOS really was legitimately good and really has aged very well even to this very day. Side note, really looking forward to covering TOS for this show. Really, really looking forward to it. I got the Blu-rays. I haven't even unwrapped them yet. Um, <laughs> but anyways, so yeah, looking at this, it's just, I get it, right? I get the appeal. And it's especially true for Dax. I think the inclusion of Dax here was a very critical component because you'll notice some of the cast, and I'm mostly looking at Odo, da uh, excuse me, Odo, Worf, and Kira, just kind of don't really interact with the past all that much, other than a couple of barroom scenes. By contrast, Dax is in the middle of it for most of it, and that makes a lot of sense because Dax was alive at this point in time. It, Dax was. Not not uh, Jadzia Dax, obviously. And I very much enjoy how nostalgic she gets about it. I enjoy it especially for a second reason. See, again, it's a unique component here, because Dax was alive at this point and thus would have nostalgia, but Terry Farrell liked the original series. In fact, there's actually a really great scene, and I challenge you, if you have the access to the episode, just to watch just this one scene. It's the scene where Cisco in his yellow uniform and Dax in her red one, are getting off the turbo lift onto the set of the Enterprise. And there's just this... They're, they're almost trying to hide their smiles at how loud they are of it. That was legitimate. They, they had never seen the sets before, and they had no idea how much the effort they'd gone to to recreate them. It's actually a fairly uh, common technique in, in movies especially, but I've seen this in television occasionally as well, where someone will deliberately in engineer a legitimate reaction from someone rather than you know, prop prepping them ahead of time just to get something more real out of it. Some people argue for and against that, but either way, I just want you to watch that scene because Avery Brooks and Terry Farrell both were fans of TOS, and you can see it right there in that moment because that's just those two people, the actors, going, 
Oh, wow. Right? So, <laughs> so they do the suit up scene. They talk about uh, Lieutenant Watley, excuse me, Ensign Watley. Lieutenant Watley? I don't remember her rank. She's apparently taking a break from her career as a server, I guess, on Ryza. But I do like the flirtiness of it, but you can tell just how much the tone of this episode is not serious. By the way, they treat that whole affair. Everything that Bashir says is valid, or at least we assume it's valid, and he's not joking around. Because he says, you know, I, nobody knows my great-grandfather. Great-grandmother's name was Watley, and that was at about this era. The pieces do line up surprisingly well. And the idea there being that he could legitimately be stuck in that kind of a type 1 time travel paradox situation, where he has to go become his own great-grandfather. Now, thankfully, this is not Futurama, so that's not what happens. But at the same time, I point that out, because that is a potentially very serious problem with very serious ramifications that they toss off as a light joke, because that's the kind of episode this is. As an aside, as much as I enjoy this episode, it's actually hard to analyze. I mean, I can tell you about the technology. I can tell you about uh, the construction of it and how they kind of do some pacing tricks to basically splice up the episode. Like if you were to zoom out and look at the editing reel, so to speak, and, and you were to highlight all the parts of the episode that had the original episode, you'll notice that there's almost nothing over here until about the halfway point, give and take. And then it starts becoming much more dense with regards to footage, which... They did on purpose because it helps them to focus on the parts of the episode they wanted to. So you can kind of see how they do that. And they, they, you can tell how they kind of jump over certain scenes. In fact, there's one particular scene that they cut down for time by like a full minute just to try to get to the point quicker. I can talk to you about that and the construction and all that. And I just did. But <laughs> there's not much to analyze because this is a comedy show. Or at least a comedy episode. There's... One thing I do want to comment on, first of all, the splicing really is excellent. The fact that they were make, able to make it look this good on a TV show with a TV budget is insane. And I'm so glad they did. This is one of those things that... I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Sometimes you look at a thing and you say, well, that's just too expensive or that's too difficult. And there's just so many reasons not to do it. And yet, historically speaking, every now and again, and it doesn't always happen, but every now and again, someone, historically speaking, says, screw it, we're going to do it anyways. And the result is, for years to come, we get something amazing out of it. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying that should always be done, obviously. But it's, it's those quirks in history, right? Where someone sits down and says, okay, we're going to go ahead and, I mean, you can go ahead and have the right lights, right... <laughs> Blech, the licensing rights deals for all the toys merchandise, but otherwise we're going to get all the other credit for this, okay? You got that, George? And we'll go ahead and fund your film. And everyone was like, this is going to be a flop. No one's going to like this. This is going to work out. And we have Star Wars. That's what I mean. Every now and again, people ignore the hassle and the difficulty and the cost and make something great. And that is what this episode is. I, I stand by my earlier statement. This episode still looks good today. Almost two decades after it came out. Actually, a little bit over two decades, I suppose, since it came out. Anyways. So, they do some really good splicing. Odo just kind of being in the background every now and again. Usually background stuff, which helps because it's already kind of blurry. Probably my favorite background edit is actually when, during the brawl fight, which was already very difficult to do for them. And when they see, you know, aha, it's him! You know, behind the other guy. And I've, I've seen the original episode. I know that he wasn't there. I know the man that Kirk questions wasn't O'Brien. Which I suppose is a good enough time to talk about a couple of things. First of all, 
Poor O'Brien. He just gets so many. He first of all, I like the comparison between O'Brien and Scotty. Now, I myself have talked about the different flavors and types of engineers we've had across Star Trek history, but one of the interesting things is two of those types of engineers are fairly similar, O'Brien and Scotty. Scotty is someone who is the improvisational engineer. He is brilliant at making things work somehow with what he's got. O'Brien has a very similar thing. It's a different tone. O'Brien is more the salvaging, scavenging, okay, we're going to have to jury-rig the hell out of this just to keep it functionally going thing. In other words, O'Brien would be Scotty with more experience and more intellect. Now, that's not an insult. He does have a different tone and a different approach to it. But the similarity is the point, because as he's looking through the, the systems, the Enterprise, he's just like, what in the world am I looking at? How is this even functioning? Okay, we'll just move this transistor. <laughs> Uh, and put it right back where it was. <laughs> he must be so lost. And then, of course, there's a great scene. Now, I love this guy. This is actually my favorite joke in the entire episode. So forgive me for telling it to you so overtly. But it gets to the part where the Klingons start insulting them. Quick side note. You notice that they bring up the Klingon issue. Uh, there was actually several debates about them just deciding, should we call attention to it? Should we just ignore it? One of the ideas that was thrown around, and I actually kind of would have been amused if they did this, was to have Dorn just show up with the greasy makeup, like like the old Klingons used to use, and otherwise, and have no one comment on it. It's just he now looks like the old Klingons. But instead they drew attention to it. Dorn does have the full Klingon makeup on. And what's funny is they draw attention to it, and they just kind of go, mm. But they directly acknowledge the fan theories of the matter, because fans had been debating what the hell happened with the Klingons for years. In actual truth, and this is one of those weird things about Star Trek, because of the nature of changing technology and changing budgets, some changes are canon and some are not. For example, sometimes something will change and we're just supposed to accept that that's a retcon, that it, was, that it always looked that way. And then sometimes things change and that's supposed to be in character, in lore. And it's very difficult to d dissect which is which, especially since some sources disagree on that part. But the Klingon thing, this was the first time that they officially know really Flat out said in canon, yes, the Klingons did change between the original series and the films. Now, this of course led to the obvious question, why? Well, like I mentioned, the fan theories at the time, the two biggest fan theories were genetic mutation and some kind of virus. <laughs> Funny, right? Anyway, so they decide to mention both theories, and Worf just kind of says, mm. That's not the joke I mentioned, though. I just wanted to comment on that, because that'll be relevant when we finally cover Enterprise, where they finally answer that question. No, what I wanted to comment on is right after that, the Klingons are insulting, you know, the Chekhov and Scotty, and, oh my god, the Enterprise should be hard to weigh as garbage. And O'Brien's just like, oh my god, it's Kirk. And notice how everyone at the table is like, oh my god, it's Kirk, except Odo. Odo's the only one. Even Worf is like, it would be a great honor to meet him. Kirk's a legend amongst the Klingons, probably more than amongst the Federation. So you could tell why Worf would be like, oh, because he's got both sides of that, right? And then everyone else is like, oh my god, dude. So the man that he's pointing to, the man that O'Brien insists is Kirk, was William Shatner's stunt double back in the day. I love that joke. I really do. Anyways... <laughs> Uh, so, 
You know, the, Worf also talks about the Tribbles and the nature of them. Can I just say that I'm actually with the Klingons in this one? Look, I like soft for acute things as much as anybody else, but i got to be honest, Tribbles are a menace. They are an environmental menace. They are basically the definition of a blight or a plague. The only difference is that they are larger and cuddlier, and so they're considered more acceptable. But they have no less of a devastating effect on an environment or a circumstance. I, I mean, genocide is admittedly a bit much, but at the same time, you can kind of see where they're going with that. So, it's just interesting to me, because then we reintroduce Tribbles into the modern era. Poor Quark. Quick aside, um, what do you think's going to happen with Tribbles being reintroduced in the modern era? Like, they never really analyze or discuss that. It's just there as a light joke. Star Trek Online goes into that briefly. <laughs> Sorry, I like that quest. At 22 minutes and 7 seconds, Kirk and Spock finally show up. Now, the first thing I find funny is that she finds both... So, Dax is obviously there. She was alive back in the day. She has nostalgia. She's... Uh, she is enamored. But not with Kirk, the one who had the reputation for being the ladies' man. No, she is enamored by Spock. Should be fairly obvious why. And Bones. Now, you might think, McCoy? How many of you remember how... Oh, there's no nice way to say this. How good with the ladies McCoy was back in TOS. It was never as overt as Kirk. He didn't get to bed the alien of the week or whatever, but he was pretty comfortable with a lot of women across that show. And very smooth about it, too. So I suppose that makes a lot of sense, that she would be enamored of both of them, for both reasons that I just kind of inferred there. Uh, oh yeah, quick aside, there's this bit uh, where Bashir is in the battle, and he, he's like, ha-ha! And then he like pauses for a second, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be injured, ow, ow. Yeah, no, you're not. You're not fooling anyone, Bashir. You're having too much fun with it. I, I know you're thinking, well, why would he be faking it? If, you're, if you don't know why, don't worry. We're going to cover it fairly soon. We're, we keep approaching the episode where I can finally stop dancing around spoilers about that. But then O'Brien... Poor O'Brien! Kirk asks him, of all the people in the line, he only asks one person in that lineup, and he has to ask O'Brien. Why? Poor O'Brien! That's his big brush with James T. Kirk, is being asked during a reprimanding c c ceremony who started the fight. So, I don't have much else to add for the rest of the episode. It just kind of naturally progresses from that point on. I do like the bit where Dax just kind of goes, <gasps> when, when Kirk sits on the treble. Because, she, and it's perfectly logical, she even says this later, I thought that was going to be the one, I thought that was going to be the bomb. In hindsight, that wouldn't make sense if you really think about it, because there's no way that uh, Darwin, I guess I could call him at this point, would have been able to access the, the bridge and get a treble there. There's, there's no way. No, the, the, the cargo thing is way more likely. But then she says the quote of how many tribbles there are to scan. And they do a little callback to that later, too, when Spock says the exact same quote, and they just kind of look at each other and shrug and go back into it. Now, I want to end this episode on a weird note. So if you're just here to, to talk, you know, to listen to my thoughts on the episode proper, you, you can go ahead and chop it off here. And 
as ever. I w- I'm very curious to hear people's thoughts and comments about this episode. I imagine there will be a few. It's overrated, and that's valid. But I still think this is a very, very fun, very polished episode. And that's what I want to talk about, because Cisco can't help but just go and metaphorically shake Kirk's hand. And neither could I, if I'm being honest. I'm not one for hero worship. I understand people a little bit too well to think that heroes exist like that, you know what I mean? But at the same time, there's still something wonderfully gratifying about being able to meet and interact with someone who has had that kind of an impact, either on your world or on your life or you personally. There are several people, historically speaking, but also people who were alive in my lifetime who I never really got to interact with and, you know, because I was a child at the time, that I would love to be able to meet and just talk with. And obviously I can't in most cases because they've either died or, you know, I'm, I'm some tiny little loser on the internet nobody cares about, so I don't have the kind of sway to make that happen. But I think about this. This show is the closest I've ever been able to come to fulfilling that little quiet desire of mine. Oh, I don't get to talk to William Shatner, although I have met him in person. I don't get to interview, uh, you know, Walter Koenig, although you know I've seen him in person as well, actually. But I do get to sit down and really analyze and dissect the good and the bad when it comes to this show that has had such a monumental impact on me and most people I know. To some extent or another, this show has had a huge ripple effect on society, uh, mostly at a fictional and cultural level, but still there. For me personally, this show, these shows, is one of the biggest bonding points I had with my mom back when I was a kid. Because for all of that I praise her and love her, she and I didn't share a lot of interests, really. Uh, A couple of specific book series and Star Trek, and that was about it. So this was something I really could connect with her on and really share and legitimately enthuse with her on. And so being able to go through and share these gems with you guys is awesome. And I just wanted to say thank you for that, for giving me this chance to be able to go through and have fun with it. I say this every episode, but that's because I mean it. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you next time, guys.